My name is David Miner. I'm an assistant pastor here. Our interim pastor, Mike Sherrod, is on vacation. And I'm going to be bringing a word from the Lord, exposing, uh, interpreting the holy text to you. You may well have gathered that it's going to be Psalm 42 because we have sung two metrical versions of it already. So hear the word of God from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I shall go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray.
Gracious God, you put one of your servants of old into a state in which they felt abandoned and their soul was downcast and in turmoil. Now, we need to understand this. We need to understand this because that happens by your sovereign providence to your saints. It has down through the ages, and it happens even now. Help us to understand this psalm. Help us to apply it. Help us to see it in the light of our Savior Jesus. This psalmist prayed, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them lead me. And you, gracious Father in heaven, have sent your Son as a light, a light for your people and for the Gentiles, as the truth, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and leads us to you, O Father. May we see you in the eyes, through the face of your servant, your Son, our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, it is my privilege to bring the Word of God to you here. It is also my grief that I don't see you here. I miss you. You miss one another. You miss singing, for Wallace sings lustily. You miss greeting one another. You miss the public worship of God. You know, at this time, I have certainly uh, seen that some pastors wonder what will happen to the church after this. Will people go accustomed to not attending public worship? And if those fears were beginning to work in my life at all, I was greatly relieved about five weeks ago when one of our own uh, and, and with the help of many, arranged for that drive-by for the graduation of our people here. I was really surprised by how many people showed up and by what joy there was as they talked to each other at, at a distance. The public worship of God, the fellowship of the saints, we miss it. Well, it seems like this psalm may be made for such an occasion as this. It was composed by one of the sons of Korah, who was one of the worship leaders. But apparently, for some reason that's not entirely clear, he was stuck far away. He was stuck perhaps up by the headwaters of the Jordan River, up in the far north east corner or even beyond the bounds of ancient Israel, up where the Mount, uh, Mount Hermon uh, sent its uh, snowy waters down in the springtime as the Jordan got ready for its uh, spring overflow. Maybe he was imprisoned up there? We don't know. What we do know is he longed 
to be in the house of God with the people of God, just like you do. But this psalm is not just written for people who are missing public worship. It's written for people like William Cooper. I've been recently instructed it's Cooper, not Cowper, who wrote a number of powerful hymns for us. William Cooper often suffered depression. And he uh, used that depression to turn to God and to write beautiful lyrics. Six or seven of them of which are in our hymnal. And one of them is going to be sung right after the sermon here. Or this psalm is written for someone like Margaret Clarkson, a much more recent Canadian hymn writer who had a lot of physical pain and wrote that beautiful hymn, number 75, Oh, Father, you are sovereign. You are sovereign, the Lord of human pain. This is a psalm that speaks to people who are down and out. People who feel out of sorts. This is a psalm that speaks to the troubled soul. And there were many of God's people, both in the Old Testament times and the New Testament times, including our Lord Jesus himself. As the Gospels report how the Lord Jesus said to the crowds around him, there in John chapter 12, Now my soul is troubled. And then we are given a little glimpse into the trouble our Savior suffered for us with the description of Gethsemane. Our Lord himself felt like this psalmist and most likely used the words from the refrain here, my soul is troubled. Now, as you see, I'm, I read from both Psalm 42 and 43. Most scholars today think they are one psalm, and the problem is, how did they get divided? We don't know. Other, more, uh, other scholars from the past uh, thought it was t- they think that it was two uh, different psalms, and the problem is, well, um, why are they so alike? <laughs> well, the fact is, what we see here is a, a unified composition, whether it was composed in two parts, we don't know. But we have three strophe, and we have the refrain repeated three times. So what I'm going to do in this sermon is I'm going to talk about the refrain, then I'm going to talk about the three different strophe or verses, and then I'm going to do a kind of Mike Sherritt thing. I'm going to give you a long list. And that long list is going to be steps to deal with your downcast soul. So let's start with the refrain. And I'll read it again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation 
and my God. Now, what's going on here? Is the psalmist praying? Well, not quite. What's he doing? He's talking to himself. You ever do that? Talk to yourself? Um, this is something that God, who created us in, image, us in his image, enables us to do. We have the gift of self-reflection. When we're sad, we can think about why we are sad and perhaps take steps to correct it. The gift of self-reflection is behind this kind of talking to yourself. And we see it in other psalms. Think about Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. Bless his holy name. Is that prayer to God? Well, not quite yet. The prayer comes a little later. You see, what's going on here is the psalmist is working on himself, herself. The psalmist is making an effort to bring their, his heart, his soul, his mind. That's what a soul is. Our, everything about us, our heart, our mind, our personality, our habits, our, uh, our interests, trying to get them into harmony, get them where they used to be. Sometimes you might not feel that you're ready to pray, but it's time to pray. In the time you set apart for your private devotions, what should you do? Start by talking to yourself. Start by telling your soul, soul, have you noticed recently what God has done for you? Soul, get ready to go meet him. So that's what the psalmist is doing here. But what is the psalmist doing as he talks to himself? He's bemoaning his state. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Now these words are kind of contradictory. The first one, cast down, could quite properly be translated, why are you melting away? Why are you dissolving? Why are all of your interests no longer interesting to you? Why have, why have you lost all sense of purpose? That's the first downcast. Melting away, dissolving. But the second one, quite different. Why are you roaring? Why are you barking, growling? Soul, why all this turmoil, this disquiet? You see, his soul is out of sorts. He doesn't know what to do with itself. And so he's got these contradictory descriptions of it. But don't we all feel like that sometimes? But the psalmist knows that he ought not think that, feel that. He ought not stay there. And so he tells his soul something here. Hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him. Now, our translations all have the refrains all identical. But 
Actually, the first one is slightly different. The first one says, I shall again praise him, the salvation of his face and my God. In other words, I'm going to get to see his face again. The presence, the face of God was the sense of his presence. The face of God, the countenance of God was what was uh, spoken about in the ironic benediction. And the psalmist here is making a very clear reference in a number of places to this powerful, ironic blessing where the face of God is turned toward his people in order to bless them. And the psalmist is claiming those promises. But he doesn't think they're there yet. Well, that's the refrain. Let's move on. Let's move on to the actual strophes, verses. I think there's a progression from verse 1 through 4, and then verses uh, um, 6 through 11, and then the 1 through 4 in the next Psalm, 43. I think there's a progression. I don't think there's real resolution at the end. Um, at the end, he's still um, setting before himself this goal of uh, hoping, uh, but what he's hoping for hasn't been realized yet. But the progression, I think, is real. And I'm going to call, with the help of Alec Motier, I'm going to call the first one faith longing. And the second one, faith reviving. And the third one, faith responding. So first one, verses, 40, verses 1 through 4 of 42 as the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, longing. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Come and appear before God. That could very easily be translated. When shall I see the face of God? What the ironic benediction. Uh, when shall I see his face? Uh, what the ironic benediction actually uh, offered to the people as the priest, the ironic priest gave that uh, benediction and God promised that he would bless his people with that. By the way, the ironic benediction is given in, in the singular. I will bless you singular. We have this disadvantage in our English language where we lost the distinction between the... Uh, you, plural, and you, singular. The, the old translations had it. Ye was plural, and you was singular, but we've lost it. So what we have uh, to do uh, from time to time is just remind people uh, that the ironic benediction was for an individual Israelite, that God was blessing them, not as a one big crowd, but individually, and the same thing is true for you. For you, he died. For you, he rose, our Savior Jesus. Individual blessing God promises. Uh, that's taking me away from my text here. When shall I come and appear? When shall I see his face? Let me go on. My tears have been my food day and night. 
while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, um, I know we just sang in the metrical versions of Psalm 42, we just sang that uh, others were saying, where is your God? Um, But there's no they in the original text here. I think what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, my tears of grief, of agony, they're saying to me, what's happened to your God? The question is posed to himself. In the next trophy, it's going to be posed by his enemies. But you know, there's a very significant difference between my criticizing my wife or my kids and my hearing somebody else criticize them. If I hear somebody else criticize them, I get upset and defensive for them. See, there's a progression. In the first strophe, he's saying, my tears tell me, your God's absent. And in the next one, his enemies are saying it. And he's rising in indignation. It hurts. Let me continue with the first strophe here. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. That's why we think that this psalmist was, uh, the, the psalmist here was a, a leader in the temple worship and he was a long way away. And what he's doing is he's remembering what happened in the past as a means of reviving his soul, of uh, thinking that maybe his mem- what he brings to mind will help him deal with his present distress. But it may or may not have worked. It may be that his remembrance here just brought on further tears of nostalgia. But let's go on. Anyway, this is faith longing. This first strophe is faith longing. After faith longing comes um, faith reviving. Faith uh, grasping for God's activity. Let me read it to you again from 6 to 10. My soul is cast down within me. He has just said, hope in God. I will yet praise him again. But now he's saying, no, not there yet. My soul is still cast down with me. Therefore, I will remember you. I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from Hermon. He seems to be so far away but, uh, and now he goes on, as he's thinking of geographically here, he goes on to some of these other metaphors. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Many in view at Wallace here love the shore. Whether it's uh, the Jersey Shore for some of you, a few of you, or the Maryland Shore, or the Delaware Shore, you love the shore. You love those breakers when they're tolerable, when they don't get dangerous. You know enough to be away from those breakers when they get dangerous. When there's been a hurricane and they, there's, they, they, the winds died down, you can walk on the beach, but you still see those breakers powerfully moving. 
You stay away from them. You know better than that, most of you. Um, it, the point is, the psalmist is saying, Those are, that's what God is subjecting me to, these kind of breakers. They're, fall, they're, they're passing over me. But notice something about them. Whose breakers are they? The roar of your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. And then he goes on in verse 8 here. The Lord commands his steadfast love. That's the most precious descriptive adjective for the Lord God and the Old Testament. This steadfast love, this covenantal love, this determined, um, Alec Motier defines it, this determined commitment that God has to love and care for his own. And the psalmist reminds him of that characteristic of God, that characteristic of God that when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and God said, well, you can't see me and live, but I'll let my glory pass by. And then the words of interpretation of what Moses experiences are steadfast love and faithfulness. The psalmist grabs hold of that here. And he says, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I think he's beginning to revive. I think he's beginning to get past. But... Um, we come next to this uh, uh, this material where he says, I hear these people saying, where's your God? They say it in derision. They say it mockingly. And it galls me. It disturbs me. God, do something so they don't talk that way about you. It's time to move on to the third strophe here. The third strophe, faith responding. What's happening in the third strophe? He's now actually engaged in actual petition. You know, there's many different ways that we come into the presence of God. He wants us to bring our sadness. He wants us to bring our troubles into his presence. He wants us to uh, rest in his presence listening to where our heart is. But he wants us to do more than that. He wants us to ask for help. And now we see that, faith responding. Verses 1 through 4 in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God. Actually, the word is the more general word, judge me. You know, I have these enemies making these false accusations against me. Give me a day in court, in your righteous court, before you, hear them out, hear me out, and then judge. And I'm confident that your judgment of me will be vindication. Do that, God. That's moving forward. That's actual progress. Faith is actively responding in beseeching God. And then he goes on for the reasons, too. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? 
because of the oppression of the enemies. The mourning picked up from the second uh, strophe. He's still mourning in the third strophe. Even though he's now asking for help, he's still in depression. Then we have a second petition, a powerful petition, the one that I uh, referred to in my prayer for illumination for this sermon. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. It's like God has the resources to send his angelic hosts as he did in the uh, days of old as they left Egypt, as, they did, as he did in the wilderness. His light, uh, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, his light, send that. Let them lead me like the pillar of cloud and the uh, uh, the pillar of fire and the cloud during the day led the people of old. Send your light, send your truth. Let them lead me. Well, of course, from the new uh, from our perspective in the New Testament, we know God did send His light, the Lord Jesus. He did send the one who claims to be the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the way we come to the Father. And the psalmist goes on, If you send your light and your truth, then I will get to go to, and see the progression, your holy hill, namely uh, Zion or Jerusalem, to your dwelling, namely uh, the tabernacle or the tent, to your altar, to the place that makes the temple the temple, the altar of God, to God that the altar represents. And I will praise you, O God. That kind of progression. You see, what the psalmist really is after here, all through it, is God himself. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He's one of those Jesus wrote about in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who Hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the characteristics of godly people is they never get there. But they have an ever-increasing desire to get there. An ever-increasing hunger and thirst to see the face of God. And that's what the psalmist does. Well, I need to come to the end of my sermon here, and I promised you a list of things here. I promised you that I'll try to lay out some steps for what to do when you're depressed. Now, these steps are not necessarily in order, although I think the first one is in order. It needs to be first, and the last one may need to be last. But otherwise, don't worry about the order. Number one, admit your feeling. Just to yourself first. Admit that you don't feel the way you know you should feel, that you're depressed. Admit that you're facing trouble. God's servants of old did that. There's no shame in it. 
God has these kinds of passages in his scriptures for us in order to enable us to deal with them. That's the first step. Admit your feelings. Second, let God in on it. Tell God how you feel. That's what Jesus was doing in Gethsemane. It's the beauty of the way that the Gospels are put together that we see our Lord's trouble there in the garden on our behalf. It gives us a greater love and appreciation for Jesus. Jesus leads the way in telling his Father how he feels. Now is my soul troubled. Number three, tell God what you want. Verse one, my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 42 is, is about life. For a deer in the drought, water meant life. For this psalmist, real life, meaningful life meant connection with the God, his God, the holy God. We're taught in this psalm that we don't live by bread or water alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Tell God what you want. You want Him. You want His presence. Third, or fourth, use your mind. Twice, the psalmist says, in the first strophe and then in the second strophe, he says, I remember you. And I've suggested to you that that first I remember was more nostalgia. It didn't get him to where he wanted to be, but the second one seems to be more of an effort to think about Jerusalem when he's far away. Think about the temple. Think about the praise of God when he's way away and he can't get back. Use your mind. Romans 12, 2. Uh, you are to use your mind. Let, don't let your mind be conformed to this world, but set it on the things of God. Number five. Recognize God's sovereignty over the details of your circumstances. Be like the psalmist. Whose breakers? Whose waterfall? Whose waves are these? They're God's. Some of, the psalmist, some of the hymn writers in our Trinity hymnal help us see that. Uh, take seriously what Karen Green suggests, that your hymnal should be a companion to your Bible. Subordinate, but a companion. To enable you to deal with the troubles that come your way to give you a song in the night, as the psalmist says in verse um, uh, verse 8 here. See God's sovereignty over the details of your circumstances. Number six, acknowledge 
his goodness in spite of your questions. This psalm is full of questions. Count them after my sermon. Reread it. Count the number of questions there. Was the psalmist not supposed to be asking those questions? By no means. This is recorded in us, in scripture, inspired scripture for us. You can ask questions. Questions are not doubts. But acknowledge God's goodness in the midst of the questions. Number seven. Claim God as your God. The powerful promise of the Old Testament is that I will be your God and you will be my people. And you can say with Thomas, my Lord and my God to Jesus. And you through Jesus can say to God, my God. Claim him as your God. Number eight. Plead with God to send help. Join the psalmist when he says, send your light and your truth. Well, God sent it already, but it needs new application in my heart now. I need to be illuminated to this powerful gift of light and truth that's already come. Number nine. Wait. Wait for God's timing. This word, hope in God, is very often translated, wait. It's a translator's interpretation, what is the right translation? Wait or hope. If you already have it, you're not hoping for it, as one of the New Testament authors says. We hope for what we don't yet have. So hope necessarily involves waiting, but waiting is hard. Perhaps you remember that 20th century play, Waiting for Godot, a play that is basically holding the Christian faith in derision. God will come if we wait long enough. What are we waiting for? Godot. Who's that? Well, we don't know, but we're waiting. No, we know who he is. He's the God who's shown himself already. He's the God who's shown himself in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the psalmist is harking back regularly to the ironic benediction, that powerful passage where the blessing of God is said to be put on the people of God by the, uh, uh, as the priest pronounces the benediction. I want to read that to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face the psalmist of 42 and 43 wants to see the face of God. The Lord make his face shine upon you. He wants the shining again. He wants the graciousness again. 
The Lord lift up his, we, our translation says, his countenance. That's powerfully poetic English. But the Hebrew just says face twice. The Lord is first shining his face and then he's lifting up his face and looking at you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. We have that peace in Jesus. Jesus' disciples were troubled there in the upper room just before Jesus went to the cross. His disciples were sad. They were confused. They were afraid. They were troubled. And Jesus knew it. And he gave them words of peace. Claim that kind of peace. Our our God, through Jesus, loves to give his people peace. Let's pray. Lord God, may we indeed see your face in the face of the Lord Jesus, your Son. You're the one who said, let light shine out of darkness. And you're the one who is commanded that the light of the knowledge of your glory would be apparent to us in the Lord Jesus. You have sent your light. You have sent your truth. May we see that light and that truth. And when we're troubled, as many of your servants were, and as your son was, may we learn to look to you as we wait in hope. For our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will one day come, returning for his own. We wait. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Amen.